0: Okay, good morning, gentlemen. So, just one thing I wanted to share with you before we start today. We're going to start on Ayn Zion Amid b 77B, uh, a few lines from the bottom, three lines from the bottom. But before then, I just wanted to show you an interesting Rashi on Ayn Zion Amid Aleph, on 77A at the top. It's interesting because there's a certain phenomenon which um, happens, and uh, uh, it becomes a challenge, and that is that uh, people dress up in honor of the Shabbos, and uh, often then they go home and they eat a nice meal in honor of the Shabbos, and you, you can't really eat a meal with your jacket and your tie or your very nice clothing on, you don't want it to get dirty, and there's also a mitzvah sometimes to rest on Shabbos, and so uh, what often happens by the end of Shabbos, you're not as dressed up as usual. So some people take it to the extreme. They already put on like weekday clothes and that. Uh, that already is a problem because it's, uh, in fact, we believe the holiness of Shabbos like increases. And so it's, uh, uh, but uh, there's just an interesting, uh, uh, interesting Rashi over here. The um, uh, Rashi's three lines from the top um, you know we don't hide anything over here in the Daf but let's uh, Rashi three lines from the top. talking about a person making a woman making a vow right before Shabbos, um, and the question was if that there was a need to nullify that vow, did it have a Shabbos need? So nedra im uh she makes the vow right before dark. Mashma and the Gemara proof from here that if somebody makes a vow like towards the end of Shabbos and you could nullify it, it, it's probably that it's not needed for Shabbos. Why? Betizra So he says, how did the Gemara know that? How did the Gemara know that this was unlikely to be a Shabbos vow? nidra. It's very unlikely that a vow made, you know, an hour before the end of the Shabbos, oh, let's call it based in, I need to... I need to nullify uh, this vow. Why? What's the usual vow? Usually what a person says is no more food. I'm fasting. I'm not having meat. So if what the wife said was no more food, well, guess what? A lot of people after the challenge say no more food. I'll never eat again. <laughs> She's already eaten plenty during the day. So, it's not needed to remove the vows so she can eat more. There are some people, that, some, many, many people that in general during the week we eat too much and in order to stay healthy we need to eat less and somehow they want Shabbos to suffer, meaning that on Shabbos they're not going to eat and enjoy it the right way because they have to keep to their diet um, and they're not going to have owning Shabbos. So the real trick is to have a healthy onig Shabbos that you enjoy, if there is such a thing. You know, find some foods that you can have onig from that are not fattening or not. But uh, if that's what this woman did, it's she already ate mi ba'od So really, you're not going to have to call a in so she could have a fancy shalashuris. That's just not going to... That's, that's unlikely to be. The e mishum takshite Shabbos, well, what happens if she said, no more jewelry for me? Uh... Or mishum uh, takshite nidra takshitu, he says that towards the end of Shabbos, people aren't wearing all their jewelry, or at least women aren't. ragil takshite Shabas. he says towards the end of Shabbos, they're already taking them off. They're not wearing their fancy uh, jewelry pieces. So he the the, the Rashi the Meforish learns that it's really, it's just logical that it probably doesn't have to do with Shabbos. And so it, it's almost like a proof that if we're talking about nullifying vows on Shabbos that are made towards the end of Shabbos, that it probably has to do with a weekday. And you see that, uh, in general, you're allowed to nullify, even take up your Shabbos time to nullify a vow that has to do with a weekday. That, that's where the Gemara was going. just thought it was interesting, though, the way... Um, uh, this the rabbis often have to speak to counteract that uh, there's this idea that, uh, you know, Shabbos afternoon, people are already, you know, they're changing already. They already want to wear their weekday clothes. Oh, I don't want to put on my fancy things again or whatever. And so uh, and then the problem is that they lose from the holiness of Shabbos. But he says already that the, the, the jewelry already, the takshits already come off towards the end of Shabbos. I just thought it was interesting. But OK, let's move on. Just, 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 yeah. Just to sum it up, is that um, um, according to those opinions that say uh, biom shamo, then at the end of that sun daylight period, that's it. So right. You would have to address that question. Right, right. So that's part of the interaction of the Gemara. Um, is that what if it's a weekday thing, but you, you know, really, there's no other time to do it. Uh, otherwise, you're going to run out of you know the clock's ticking. Right. That's uh, but. Uh, uh, the question was how the Gemara knew. Maybe you know, maybe the person vowed something on Shabbos or something. Or so that was really where where Rashi was going with that. It was just right. I, I just found it interesting. Yes, that's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um, it's it's particularly here because I remember over the years that Rabbi Feldman has addressed that. Um, probably the people he's addressing aren't in shul so much. Uh, but there there used to be like a matzah Shabbos wind uh, that people wanted to go to the movies matusha i don't know where that came from or whatever and so uh, already towards if you need to go to the movies sometimes shabbos ends pretty late so you got to be dressed already you know to go and uh some people have a foot out the door and the total spirit of the end of shabbos is kind of lacking that way when that those things would happen uh but uh uh but it was just uh it's like all things, that uh, many times there are things that are very important and then there's what we call Yitzhahora, a certain push that takes, wants to, you know, to edge away in Shabbos or whatever, take away that so that we enjoy the end of Shabbos, because you know, well, you got to run to the movies, and you got to be changed, and you got to, but it was interesting that Rashi said that, that even like, you know, if the woman says no more jewelry or no more, whatever takshid is defined as, uh, that's already, by the end of Shabbos, people tend to not wear their jewelry or the um, so okay, uh, but at any rate, we're back to the Gemara. We're now we're getting into the specifics of how, uh, how does Hafara work? What's the formula? What does the husband say? How does Hattorah work? What does the rabbi say? So, uh, if the rabbi uses the words that we're familiar with from the Baal, which is muferlach, or the Baal says Lo it doesn't work. Uh, even though they're very similar mechanisms, uh, one is revoking and one is annulling. They're two different things. Zitani, how do we know that it's very specific? The Sun is The the Torah uses an extra word in saying that it's gotta be like this. Ha matir The he I'm just using the word annul. I don't have a better word for that. What does it say? Mater? The release, yeah. The 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 sage releases the rabbi release. No. What he says, he says a no. He says a no, right? A no. I'm trying to think what the deeper meaning is. A no, annulment. Um, yeah, but at any rate, the it's they a no But the word says, I would think chacham A sage doesn't do a forest mater. He's mater it bal the husband who was able to. Uh, Revoked the vow. I use that word revoke a lot. I kind of thought that's good. Eino din Certainly he could have known it. Tamulomer. As we turn finally to today's page, zehadover hadaver mater. The chacham Vein bal The husband doesn't know. Tanya idak ze We learned somewhere else. From this word's Baal Maefr, the husband uses the formula of Afora, the Ain revoking. The Chachum doesn't revoke. She I would think my Baal matir. the husband is not allowed to annul it. Mayfir, he's allowed to revoke it. Chachum Shematir, the sage that is allowed to revoke it, Ainu Dishun certainly is allowed to annul it. Certainly he should be able to revoke it. Tam is the Baal The bottom line is that each one has their formula, and the word Zehadaver says that, that it has to be used in the, in the right context. There, there, there's, there's a difference between hafara and uh, being matur. So, uh, yeah. Does it matter if the Baal is a Chacham? That's interesting. Well, that, why don't you ask the other way? What if the <laughs> Chacham's wife is the one who made the vow, and so he's a Baal? It, <laughs> um, it, it depends on what he's doing, what are the mechanics of it. So, in other words, you have to have to make a decision. Words, what, I, I guess what you're asking is, what if you could do either? If, it, if it's within 24 hours, then this is your wife. So, would you want to do the haforah way, or would you want to do the hatarah way? There is just an interesting rush. I'll show you over here in case this was kind of bothering you. What came first, the chicken or the egg over here, uh, with the Kavah What did we know? Did we know that the Chacham can uh, can only do HaTorah, or did we know the Baal could only do HaFarah? In order that the Gemara seemed, to, at first it wanted to say, what's the given? So we actually, uh, we, uh, we started off with the Chacham mater and not the husband, and then we uh, Um, and then we switched it kind of over here. It's like circular, what they call circular logic. But look at the rush, two lines from the bottom. He says the Chavachomer really isn't the main logic that the Gemara is using over here. If it hadn't said we would have learned one from the other. There really is no starting point. In other words, uh, the Gemara has to start from the Baal and then has to go to the Chacham, but we really didn't know any one... We didn't know to l- eliminate one method from one more than we did the other. In other words, we knew that there's a word used for the Chacham and we knew you, there's a word used for the Baal, but we didn't, there was no reason to know that one could only use one and not the other, even though the Gemara had to start somewhere. That, that's, I think, what the rush is saying. La rafka Milsa means that we, you couldn't really prove anything just from, if you start say, well, if this is this, then this is this, because um, we really don't have any more as a given over here. Okay, moving on. Khan. now the Gemara has a different question. So we're looking at the words used in the very small psukim. There are very few psukim written, like in all places in the Torah. Torah uses very few words to give over halakha. It uses that word zehadover this is the thing. And so we've explained that the, really the word zehadover is coming to teach you that it's specific to the method used, fine. But there's also an interesting thing, there's like, a gzeh that it uses this word zehadover in another place. And we understand that that's coming to teach us something. Then it uses by nidorim this term zehadover And it says also Zehadavar b'shutechutz. There's a parsha in the Torah about shechting outside the beis hamikdash offerings. There was offerings have to be brought in the beis hamikdash, and if you, uh, even if you're bringing an offering to Hashem, if you do it outside the beis hamikdash, uh, that's a lav. That's called shechut shechting outside. And guess what? It uses the exact same expression over there. What in the world does that have to do with vows? So it says <laughs> nemar what do we learn out from there? So the Gomorrah is going to, uh, we always say that's a bridge. You know, in other words, whenever the Torah uses the same language, uh, Dr. Yaffe always helps us with that, that uh, it, the same use of the same language is a bridge. It's, it's, it's definitely teaching you something, uh, for, and you can actually extrapolate, if you use that language over there, take it to wherever else the Torah used it is coming to teach you something. So what's the the bridge over here? So we learn out my Bishkutechutz Arun Ubanovako Yisrael, just like Shkutechutz. Uh, it obviously applies to Kohanim, Arun and his sons, but it actually applies to everybody. Av parshatorim, Arun Ubanavakho Yisrael. So too, when it comes to nullifying vows, it also can be done, as we're gonna see. Doesn't have to be rabbis. It's, it applies to everybody. The, even non-rabbis uh, can, even what we call a hediotos or a regular people uh, can nullify the vows, rosh um, amatos But it also it does mention the heads of the tribes. So uh, so aflehalon uh, Amatos. There too. Uh, it's, it refers to the heads of the tribes. So we're going to have to explain both of those things, but we're saying that uh, the, the bridge is going to have to do with Kol Yisrael and also Rosh HaMatos. So, Rosh uh, HaMatos so or So what is the rule in Parsh that has the heads of the tribes? So, Amar HaKab Yaakov, It's coming to tell you that you can use any three people. As Erev Rosh Hashanah, we all know we 're all shocked that we address each other as honorable judges. We all get that promotion. It, it feels good you know once a year, somebody calls us you know it 's uh, the honorable judge you know but, but that 's kosher we 're kosher as the honorable judge. says, well, what do you mean Rosha, it says the heads of the tribes it 's coming to tell us if you use one judge he 's got to be ahead he's got to be. A head. He's got to be a specialist. Uh, so then the Gemara says, So why does it say heads of the tribe? So there, there's two methods of, null, of nullifying vows. One is with a Beisdin, and uh, not, and it's coming to tell you that you don't have to be experts, judges, to be... Uh, actually, the formula used is, he says, He says expert judges, but that's just being... Uh, uh, he's just... Uh, it's just being polite. That's how I understood it. Uh, uh, either that or we're all at that moment expert judges. But um, that's three hediotas. Three regular people can be used. But if you use one, then he's got to be the expert. So, But why does it say, uh, but that's fine by the vows, that those are two sets of rules, that you have this idea of Moshe arun that there are vows that can be nullified by any plain Jew, and there are vows that we need a specialist, right? So those are the two, Rosh Amatos and the also but Arunubanov. What, but what is the halacha by Shkutechut? So Amrishesh, Shilom, Shayla, That uh, it's coming to tell us something else. That uh, sometimes when you uh, are doing an offering outside the temple, let's say you didn't realize you couldn't do it there, that you can unholitize it, that you can remove your vow. In other words, you thought you were doing, uh, you, you, let's say you owed a chatos, you had to bring a sin offering, and it was too crowded in the base of Migdosh, and you were worried about catching germs, and you said, you know what, I'll do it in my backyard. you know. And so you shechted, and then somebody said, stop, it's, it's a big sin, you don't want to do that, and you blew it, now that offering can't be brought. So you say, okay, let's get a rabbi here, let's remove my vow. So this way, it won't be an offering outside, it'll take the holiness off. So uh, there is room, in other words, to have vow removal with shkutechutz. Even though once something is holy, it's very difficult to unholitize it. Um, I I always make up my words, but it's uh, it's very difficult to remove that uh, strength of that holiness. So um, you might have thought that you really can't uh, remove it with a rabbi or with a sage. So that's why it says, no, it's a good idea. Get the head of the tribe over here quick. Because uh, you need to remove the holiness of that shkutechut. So the Gemara says, "Beishamai don't hektish." But what about Beishamai? I don't know why. Right, we're going to spend a half a page now worrying about Beishamai. We don't always worry about him. Uh, sometimes it was because later on it was decided. But uh, uh, and then sometimes the Gemara wants to know, "Well, how did Beishamai learn the Gemara?" That's that's really the question here. How did how does Beishamai? Beishamai holds. Uh, that you can't remove it once it's holy. Uh, it's, it's more than a vow. In other words, uh, a vow means you used words to consecrate something or to, to, to change the status of something. Isn't that what hectish is? You use words to donate it? But hectish is a little more. We had this sfora before. Um, sometimes you could commit something or you'd use your word, and hectish it's like there's an invisible hand that comes down and it was when you donate an animal to hegdish and you say this cow is holy there's an invisible hand that comes down and says thanks i got it so it's received already so it's different than a vow if you make a vow uh, and you retract so it goes back to being just a plain old you know the vow comes off but when you donate something to hegdish there's like an invisible hand that see hegdish exists everywhere and so hegdish receives it already so you can't Pull it back so easy, at least according to Beis So, in other words, according to Beis there ain't shayl behegdish rosho. So then, why you'll, you're never going to need a sage when it comes to shuktechutz? So, so, what do you need it for? So the Gemara answers Beis Shamai less the It's not a problem because they don't learn that gzirishava. So uh, then the Gemara says, uh, but in general, why does it say zeh hadavar the door Steve? So then. If you learn the Zehadavers for the Zeh to compare one to the other, to tell you that just like vows you can remove with the sage, so too hektish you can remove with the sage. So that's a great teaching. You need to know that. That if, you, if by mistake you shifted it outside, quick, call the rabbi, you can remove that. But if you hold like Beishamai that you don't have that Zeh so then why does it even mention Zehadaver by the Nadorim? Lo marcha ha ve'in that's this teaching we had just mentioned that um, it's very specific. I, that each one can only use their formula. So what do you use it for? It's very specific. What happens if you try to do the fingernail thing outside the temple? So we know if you shek the korban outside the temple, um, I believe you actually whip a person for that. You know, if you try, if you shecked a Corbin, if you shecked a uh, Corbin outside the basin, what happens if you do the finger? You got a bird and you're going to do the fingernail thing outside the basin. So you might have thought it's the exact same sin. Uh, but no, the, uh, the, it's coming to tell you that no, the, the very specific. Uh, it's only if you shecked a Corbin outside the basin, big dish, that you get that laugh. But if you did Malika, if you did the fingernail thing, uh, we won't whip you. I, I don't know what the reason would be. I don't have a reason. If somebody has a thought, why not? But um, I, it's almost. I, I believe. I the, the thought I was thinking is that you really don't find that Malika is shkita at all. It, in other words, anywhere else, if you take your fingernail, the the bird is treif. It's not. it, it's only shkita is the only way to make it. It's very. It, it's very unusual that. It's only inside the base of Migdash that the Torah says that if you kill it with a fingernail, that's like Shkita, you know, that that works. Uh, but uh, other than that, I don't have anything to offer you. Why? But it, it, in the end of the yeah, day, it's a yeah. I think you just touched on what I was going to say, which is that outside of the base of Migdash, there's no concept that what's called Malika. Yes, physically, you did take a fingernail and you, you killed the bird, but that's not Malika. Malika mm-hmm. is a special thing in the Beit Hamikdash only. you want to have a steak? You do. You shech an animal. You have a steak, mm-hmm. and that is a shechting act. But Malika is something specific. Only that's what I thought. Uh-huh. Very so good. Yeah, yeah. That I, I like the way you, you you verbalized that. Yeah, very good. Okay. So El um, Lebe So what does it come to teach you? El Lebe Shame It's coming to tell you uh, that you can use any three. Um, but the question is, according to Be'i Shammai, and they don't learn the G'zei Rishavah, how are they going to know that you can use Arun uh, a V'ko Yisrael, that you can use even... See, we learn out that just like Shut Chutz applies to a non-Kohen. Uh, if they shecht outside, they're in trouble. We learn out that also a non-Kohen can nullify, even a non-leader can nullify a vow. But according to Be'i Shammai, who doesn't learn the G'zei Rishavah, how are they going to know that you don't need to have a, an expert to nullify the vow? This word hediot really means like any anybody is every person is like a hediot. Sometimes it's it's used as an insult like you're a nothing, but it actually just means three regular people, three non-experts. It doesn't have to be an insult. Three hedyot. So how did they shamai know that? The it says of Asi Bar There's another teaching. Dixiv, and this is also. Um, It's interesting, sometimes the teachings are unique to Beishamah, and sometimes they actually are teachings that are used and actually are very telling. And this is one of those teachings that has other applications. It says like this, It says that these are the holidays. These are Moed. It mentions the holidays, but it doesn't mention Shabbos says, Hashem in It doesn't mention the vows. So Rabasi Hai Masnista. he has a difficulty with this Mishnah. he went to Nardoi, he didn't understand what he was saying. Ashke, He didn't find him. Um, so it's interesting. I, I took from this, like, imagine if you traveled all the way to a different city to learn Pshat. You had a difficulty. Like, we have very little patience, you know, with uh, somebody we don't understand, and, uh, and we don't have an answer, so what's the matter, you know? So he traveled all the way to, you uh, know, travel in those days, you know, Pony Express, you know, he went all that way uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to Nardoi, and he wasn't there. So he says, I, I, where's, Re-? what? I, I don't understand the question. What so hopefully see? it'll become clear in a second, okay? Yeah, the... Okay. Uh, and then he wasn't there, and then he went all the way to Mechuzah. So, again, so they had a very big love of Torah. They, they wanted an answer to their question. They, they kept on moving. So, Omerlein. Moed, Eishem, never Lo, Nember, Shabbos, Breshis, He says, I don't know what he was talking about. I don't understand the question. He implied, It says the holidays, and it doesn't mention Shabbos, but see, Shabbos, It does say Shabbos there. <laughs> Actually, in other words, there's a place in the Torah where it talks about Moed, uh, holidays. And Shabbos, actually, it's said there. So what is he saying? It doesn't say Shabbos there. Vesu, mo'ad never know Shabbos, them. mem. Are you telling me by the holidays it does, doesn't mention the vows? behind is citric, It's written right next to it. The vows have to do with part of the holidays are the bringing of the offerings. Meaning that we get a special connection to Hashem um, the, I, there's the idea, it really has to do, my, uh, my Rebbe Gifter, always very fond of a vort, the word moed comes from, what does that word mean? We always translate holiday, actually it means appointment. Uh, the oho moed is the tent of the meeting. So the word moed, it's the same word as vad. When you have a meeting, you have a vad, you have a, a group that gets together. A vad is where people meet. Uh, and so a moed, a holiday is a meeting. It's, we meet God meaning that the rest of the year uh, we don't feel Hashem's intense presence and we have a need at least a few times a year to get close to, ha- feel that close presence of Hashem. And so that's what a moed is, is that we've got a meeting. We, we get to meet our maker uh, in a very close way. And one of the only ways in the anci- to do it in a very close way is to bring offerings. When you bring an offering, that connects you in a way that nothing else will. So by the Moed, it mentions these offerings. And that's, by the way, on Shabbos and the Moad, that's why you have those Musafim. You bring extra offerings because you need to connect. You've got to work on that extra connection to Hashem that, uh, through the Moed. Okay, so the, uh, uh, that's why by saying, what do you mean it doesn't say? So there was some kind of question asked. And uh, he couldn't understand the question because the question had to do with Shabbos and Moed. Why it doesn't say Shabbos by the Moed? First of all, it does say it. And why doesn't it say Nidorim? Even though it doesn't say it in that Pasuk, it says it Misitra, right next to it. Uh, This word Misitra, let's do the Rashi two lines up. so Parsha right next to it. Depends to see Parsha Nidorim. So, Omele, Hachitani, this is what it means to say. Um, So, um, this was the question and this was it's really a big subject of what does Shabbos come to accomplish and what does Moadim come to accomplish. Uh, when you have a bunch of days of Shabbos and Yantuf, sometimes they're indistinguishable. They, it's like you're not working on either one. You spend the whole day in shul and eating. So what's the difference? You dress, you know, Shabbos and Moad. And so there, it is, there's certain similarities. There are certain similarities and there's certain differences. And it's really a, a deeper subject of what's first of all, each moed has its own flavor. You know, it's almost like somebody saying, What why do you need so many flavors of ice cream? Just eat vanilla, you know. That each one has a different so each one is is great, it's yummy, it's flavorful, it's sweet, it cools you off, it's creamy, but no, you like your double chocolate chip, strawberry, uh whatever, you know, almond uh, you can't say each you want to enjoy each flavor. So Shabbos and Moed are are, ha- are different flavors and unique. On the other hand, they're both ice cream. They're both, uh, so there is a, a concept that it mentions there's a Shabbos in the Moadim. So, but on the other hand, it's different. So what is the difference? So the Morris says as we turn the page, Moadei Hashem and Kiddush Beisden. By the Moadim, the reason that there are differences, the Moed had to be declared by Beisden. Shabbos Breshis and and Kiddush Beisden. Shabbos doesn't need the based in, meaning uh, and a Moed is a meeting, and a meeting means you got to be there. If you want Hashem to be there, you got to be there. Uh, the the Beisden has to declare the Moed. Shabbos is going to happen whether you, you bring it in or you don't bring it in. You, you know, you're lost in a desert island and you don't go to shul and you don't know what day it is. You wake up and it's Shabbos, it's Shabbos. Uh, the Moed has to be declared and brought in. So that needs Kiddush Beis, the Shabbos, uh, the Shabbos of creation ain't Shrikan Kiddush Beis, and in order to um, uh, declare the base in that you need the absolute experts, the top experts in the Jewish world. In fact, that's um, why they uh, had to set the calendar, because it became very difficult to get all these experts together, and there are very few people who are actually qualified for that uh, um, I certainly get that because I'm totally lost when you start talking about the, um, you know, how to figure out the uh, the calendars and the shapes and, uh, and the ivor and uh, that's, that's the area where I, I, I really need work on. Well, we all do, but some people have a better sense of it. You know, they know when, you know, uh, how it works and, well, this, uh, this year is a leap year and the moon because last year wasn't and this many days. Some people are just much more in tune with the, uh, and the math is good, you have a certain, uh, I missed that class. But at any rate, so you need a mumka for that, but for a vow, you don't have to have the same same portion of a Tzvika mumpka. Afilu based in Hediotis, Any as we all know, of Rosh Hashanah, we can all be called in, and some people don't, uh, you know, they do it in English or they don't even have any idea what it's about. So the truth is, ideally, you need a Dafiomi person on that basis, somebody at least has some idea. Um, you know, if somebody's sitting there and they really don't know what nullifying a vow is, you know, it's difficult. Because there are people in shul who really, they may be observant, they really have no idea what it's, what it's about. You know, they, you have to kind of give them a 10-second, you know, well, there's a vow or there's a concept of petitioning the court. They should at least have a certain idea what they're there for. Aye, but they could be a hedget, they don't have to be a scholar. I have a parsha Rosh Doesn't it say the heads? That's to tell you that if you have one, he better be an expert. A um, new thing. So um, again, that was a question about the uh, the commonality of certain words. We started off talking about Shkutechutz, uh, and then we actually got into the fact that it uses the same words by Shabbos as it does by Moed. So that was the, uh, and uh, we got into the qualifications for the beis of the moed and the qualifications for the beis for vows. And then again, some. A little little question, if if I can ask one, on rashi amados that you need a a yachid mumcha. Uh huh. How do we how do we learn out of a plural plural uh, basis? That, that a singular would be okay? I mean, a roshé is a plural, matos is like a plural. How, how, did we, how did we squeeze a singular out of that? That's a good question. Um, I was thinking of the answer while you asked it. Uh, it uh, Rev. Avram says it means like from among the roshé matos. That, uh, I, I was wondering, the, I, my, my, I guess in order to be the head of a tribe, you had to be the expert. In other words, the one who would be appointed the head would have been a um, had to be a mumcha. But you're asking on the plural, so it means from amongst the heads of the tribe. Rev. Avram says the But I, I was more bothered by how do you know the heads of the tribes are? We're just assuming the head was a uh, uh, was a learned. You know, had to be an expert. Otherwise, how would he? You want to appoint your smartest? I guess we're used to politicians who aren't the um, uh, the choiciest. You know, the brightest uh, uh, person to. Uh, uh, and that's a shame, because they, you, you used to think that, that you picked your leader to be the the one who's the, the, you know, the most, it actually bothers us quite a bit that we don't get the, you know, the best, uh, you have to dab them for that. You have good, you know, good leaders or leaders that are on the, uh, you know, the the brightest of the bunch. Okay. Uh, now the Gomorrah is going to go back to Nidorim, though. We got, uh, we got uh, um, because of, we went into the drushes and the use of similar language, we got sidetracked, a little bit to some other areas that, that discussed the use of based in and needing a specialist and not a specialist. Now we get back to the halachas of um, uh, nullifying vows. <speaking in Hebrew> what happens if the person's uh, uh, wife made a vow and uh, the husband wants to nullify the vow, uh, but not right away. He wants to uh, teach her a lesson. And so he wants her to sweat it out. So if he does that, he, he gets an extension. Let's see the Ran at the bottom on the right side. Today, he wants to uh, tease his wife, or he wants to teach her a lesson. She she swore she'd to this or she's going to think that her husband wants her to keep that vow and he really doesn't want to keep it, he's going to do it afterwards. And uh, the rush here, um, the rush really brought this down before, that sometimes a husband wants to teach the wife a lesson. Um, It's interesting, there's a whole psychology of nullifying vows. Um, Sometimes the wife makes a vow that if the husband doesn't nullify it, it's like grounds for divorce, that she expects him, if he cares about me, he's going to nullify it. You know that she expects him to get her out of that trouble. You know, she said that, but I, I'm sorry, I can't do what my husband doesn't want. So, the wife wants to be able to blame certain things on the husband that's an automatic given, and the husband has to give her coverage. That, that's, the, that's the simple shot in, the, in, the, in this Hafar idea that there are certain times that she says, Well, I really want to, but my husband doesn't. And even though you know, you really, you know, uh, uh it's not you, it's her, but it's, it's fine, that's part of the relationship. On the other hand. Some people uh, do commit to things that they shouldn't and you need to put the brakes on them a little bit, even a husband to wife. And so he's saying that if your intention in being quiet is to uh, teach her a lesson, um, sometimes people don't realize that they shouldn't have committed to something until they've done it for a little while and then they regret it. You know, the first day, no big deal. But after a little while, often you realize, oh, I should not have gotten myself into this. So the husband wants her to have that feeling. So then he gets a 10-day extension. is a question. When do we say when the fiancé dies? Then it goes back to the father. This is going back to the subject of when there's a father and a fiancé. And they split the revoking of the vow. But if uh, the husband dies, she steps back into her father's house. In other words, when a young girl's engaged, so then she's got two men in her life. She's still living under her father's roof, but then she's got to also ask her fiance. But once the fiance dies, she goes nisrok, she goes back to her father's house. Bisman shama Shamahabal. That's if the husband didn't weigh in before he died. He didn't hear about it. Oh, Shishama Vashasuk. Oh, he heard about it and he didn't say anything. Oh, Shishama Vahafir. Oh, he heard about it and he nullified it. And then he died right away. Avasham Shama v'shasuk. But if he heard about it and he was Machiamit. Oh, Sheshama Vashasuk or he was okay and he was quiet, and he was quiet for a whole day, it becomes too late for her father to nullify it. Now, basically, we're saying that if the husband was quiet for one day and then died the next day, it'll be too late for the father to nullify it because it's as if the husband was good with it if he was quiet for a day. Well, maybe he was just being quiet because he was doing this trick. He wanted her to regret it a little bit. And so he was just waiting for her a few days to start to feel, you know, I shouldn't have gotten myself into it. So he had picked up that 10 days? So that's our question. If, if he really gets 10 days, this implied that if one day went by, it's too late. So the Gemara said no. He was quiet because he was really okay with it. That says So then it's the same thing as being B'Kaimet. It already yeah. said that case. So said, Abba Shosakstam." Why would the father even think any of So what comes out is this: It comes out that there's three kinds of uh, being quiet. There's being quiet because uh, you're good with it, and then there's being quiet where you tell somebody. I'm going to read you the, the the in a second. When you tell somebody, "I want to nullify this vow, but I got to teach her a lesson," and then the quiet gives you you get an extension, and then there's Shosakstam. Uh, where you're quiet and we don't know. So if you're quiet and we don't know, 24 hours goes by, we assume you're okay with it. Let's see uh, that run that I just told you about, that that this extension means where you tell somebody. um, Was it the... uh, uh, I think I saw it in the run. Let's... um, Where did I say one second? Uh, yeah, here it is. I'm, I knew I didn't make it up. It's in Rashi here. Uh, you don't have to learn this way, but I, I like learning that way because it makes it a little more clear. How do you know when a guy is quiet in order to mess with the wife and teach her a lesson? And get, but really, you plan on nullifying it. So, my lab, make it. It's Rashi six lines up on the left side to Omar that you tell somebody else that you plan on nullifying that you're only quiet to la make it of it yom and then uh, when you die afterwards any huffer, and still you can't and so he's learning that you uh, you could be quiet for different reasons, and so we need to know why he's quiet. Uh, and again, this is a Kiddush. This is the first time we mentioned this in the Masechta. Normally, if you're quiet 24 hours, that's it. Boom, it's good. But we're saying that there's a shosak and make it. And my understanding of Rashi was that when you're Shostakam make it, and you actually tell somebody that that's what you mean, or you're thinking somebody, that's what you mean. Let's also... Uh, just, uh, let's see how the Ron uh, phrases it. Five lines from the bottom. Since we learned, you hear it and you're quiet. And then you died. It implies any kind of quiet, even if that's your intention. Don't you see that the quietness is in order to confirm it? So lamar says, no. Shehu balibo he's learning a little bit different. He's learning that you can be quiet and say in your heart, yes. And then you can be quiet and say in your heart, I'm keeping my options open. So the, the rabbi is learning that, it, it, again, there's a quietness where you're quiet, but in your heart you say, good I'm okay with the vow. And then there's a quiet where you say, I'm not sure. Uh, what does the word mean, make it? Um I think it means to start up with her, to uh, to remove it. Uh le l- make it means to the Maporish on the fifth uh, line Rashi. She initially the kaime de laknito l'okiko. This word lo kiko means you rebuke her. Um let's let's um ra- it's, it's the... it's the very last one on the page two. He uh, says that there's like a third case. It says, Ella, shut up, stop. Yeah. He's not trying to play games with her. Well, he has no specific intent whatsoever. He just remains silent. Just remain silent. Mm. Just remain silent. Right, right, right. So again, we're saying silence has different meanings. Um, it, sometimes like you put a bid on the house and other guys quiet, that means they want more. You have to read the silence. Like what's going on over there? The poker player, like you can't read the silence. Is he bluffing? Is he? So here also, the husband is silent. Sometimes... It's because he fully agrees. Sometimes he plans on nullifying it. And sometimes he's not sure. He's just quiet because he doesn't know which way to go. Okay. Um, But that's the... uh, uh, And we'll figure that out tomorrow. Okay. Have a great day, everybody.